from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, my name is Alyssa Carroll and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Special thanks to some of my patrons, as always. Rachel, Whitney, Maya, Alethea, Elena, Aaron, Katorres, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Katarina, Teresa, Sophie, Nanette, two Emmas, Emily, Gaylin, Bree, David, John, and my girl, Judy. Thank you so much. You guys are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patrons so that I can bring you more of what you crave. So today's podcast will be on Edward Seleznev. So Edward Valerievich Seleznev was born in 1969, and that's all I could find. So let's get into some history for that time. So 1969 was a very significant year in the race to space. NASA's Apollo 10 space mission launched and landed successfully this year. The flight was a test run for the first moon landing, which took place two months later. The Apollo 10 mission successfully tested all aspects of a lunar landing except the actual landing. The crew conducted a lunar orbit and lunar descent to about nine miles from the surface. This naturally led us to the Apollo 11 mission by the United States and Neil Armstrong and Edwin Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to set foot on the moon. And the famous words, quote, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind would then become part of our history. And then the forever memorable music festival Woodstock occurred this year. The music lineup attracted more than 400,000 rock and roll fans. It was actually called the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. It was held August 15th through the 18th, 1969 on Max Yasger's Dairy Farm in Bethel, New York, about 40 miles southwest of the town of Woodstock. Musicians included Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jefferson Airplane, Credence Clearwater Revival, The Who, and so many more. 
A free concert organized by the Rolling Stones is held at Altamont Speedway in Livermore, California, with problems caused by the use of Hell's Angels as bouncers, resulting in a number of deaths. The groundbreaking TV program and, side note, one of my absolutely favorite comedy groups, Monty Python's Flying Circus, is shown for the first time, and the catchphrase, quote, and now for something completely different. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Becomes their trademark. I could actually probably recite the Holy Grail line for line. Bell-bottom jeans and tie-dye shirts had become part of the teenage fashion scene, and from what I've seen lately, they are making yet another comeback. Sesame Street debuted on public television this year. Project Blue Book, the United States Air Force's investigation into unidentified flying objects, or UFOs, officially came to an end in December of 1969. The investigations began in 1952 when the government officials started to collect information related to UFO sightings. By 1969, there were over 12,000 reports compiled by officials, and of those reports, all but 701 cases were identified as either atmospheric, astronomical, or man-made events. The project concluded that UFOs did not threaten national security and did not present evidence of extraterrestrial life or technology, and the U.S. government decided that it would be too costly to continue to investigate UFO sightings. On August 9, 1969, members of Charles Manson's cult killed five people in movie director Roman Polanski's Beverly Hills, California home, including his pregnant wife, actress Sharon Tate. Now, I know it's been done a lot, but if you guys want me to cover Manson, just let me know. Some other people born in 1969 were Catherine Zeta-Jones, Brett Favre, Renee Zellweger, and Jennifer Aniston. So, this was the atmosphere that Edward was born into. Now, guys, I'm going to go ahead and warn you now that I dug and dug for any sort of background information about Edward, and there was virtually none. All sources regurgitated the same information nearly word for word, so I won't be able to give you really much of any childhood information that could have contributed to his later crimes. But he has been requested a few times, so I will share everything I could find. He was born in Arkhangelsk, a city that means Archangel in English, on the banks of the northern Divinya River, where it flows from the White Sea in northwestern Russia. Sorry if I butchered the names. Now, I could not find whether or not he had any siblings or what his birth order even was. I do know that he was sent to a boarding school from a very young age and really didn't spend much time with his parents, whom I could find absolutely nothing about, not even their names. 
So now, boarding schools are basically institutions where children live on campus while being given their formal education. This includes lodging and meals. Typical boarding schools have children live exclusively on campus during the entire school year with perhaps a visit to home for a winter break or spring break and then maybe during the summer, but I am sure that there are variances to that. The takeaway is that in some cultures, and it would seem young Edwards was this way, boarders spent the majority of their childhood and adolescent life away from their families. I couldn't find out which boarding school he went to, but I did find an article on dh-north.org that said Northern Russian schools until the mid-1970s were a very strict regime. In many districts, all children were forced into boarding schools. From the mid-70s until the mid-1980s, it did become a bit softer, as in children were allowed to return home from boarding schools to their family homes. This would have been about the time frame when Edward was in school. As far as how he was in his early formative years, his educators as well as peers indicated that he had been slow to learn and quite uninterested in school, possibly suffering from a learning disability. People also noted that he was a habitual smoker, rarely stopping except to sleep, and he engaged in petty theft from a pretty young age as well. He did manage to make it through his eighth grade year before dropping out and studying at a vocational school where he studied to be a bricklayer. Now, after this, sources say he worked odd jobs in his mid-teens to, quote, make ends meet while living in a rundown hostel. To me, it would seem that he was not welcome to live at home with his parents, I really wish that I could have found out some information on his parents and their relationship, and if any of you know this information, please feel free to share with us. But again, he continued to steal, and it was stated that on several occasions he was convicted of embezzlement, which is just another word for stealing, but usually from one's own employer. And that, folks, is all I could find about Edward's formative years. Again, I have no way of knowing what his birth order was, what his parents were like, or how they treated him, any family ancestry, nothing. So the causation of his less-than-ideal behavior from his pretty young years is a bit of a mystery. Could it be that his parents made him feel unwanted, a burden, or could it be that perhaps his family had some level of wealth and sent him to the boarding school, as does happen in more privileged households, and he resented it? Maybe his negative behavior was learned at the boarding school from the other boys, but who's to say? What we do know is that he smoked like a freight train even as a child, was completely uninterested in his education, either from a possible undiagnosed learning disability or just plain did not care, and he was a thief. But after eighth grade, he did go on to a vocational school that he graduated from with a certificate in bricklaying, and that does show initiative. But at this point, we know he was effectively homeless, 
working wherever he could, doing odd jobs to survive while living in a rundown hostel. He continued to steal and was caught several times. Now, I did find one article that hinted that he most likely had conduct disorder. Now, how they had enough information about his childhood to come to this conclusion is beyond me, but let's explore it nonetheless, right? So, a conduct disorder is a type of behavioral disorder and is when a child displays antisocial behavior. They usually disregard basic social standards and rules. They are generally irresponsible, show delinquent behavior such as skipping school or attempting to run away. They steal and violate the rights of others. They also often physically harm animals or other people. These behaviors can happen together but can occur on their own without the others. Experts believe that many factors play a role in conduct disorder, including brain damage, a traumatic event, genes, child abuse, past school failures, and social problems. Most of these children seem to have a problem in the frontal lobe of the brain, which interferes with a child's ability to plan, stay away from harm, or learn from negative experiences, which can then lead to a depressed mood, behavior problems, and involvement in a deviant peer group. And children with mental health problems are also more likely to have conduct disorders such as PTSD, ADHD, and get this, learning difficulties. So it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that Edward did have conduct disorder. He does seem to tick a few of those boxes, but we really can't be sure. What we do know is that while children are not diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, adults who are diagnosed as antisocial most often do display conduct disordered childhoods. And we will certainly be circling back to that in a bit, but basically this is all I could draw out of his childhood. So let's get back into the story. On several occasions, he was convicted of embezzlement and theft and would then serve time. After one of his releases in 2000, when he was 31 years old, he started living in random basements of abandoned houses or homeless shelters. Since at this time he was not working, he survived by killing cats, dogs, and birds to consume. It was also mentioned in several sources, albeit in passing, that he had been convicted of a double murder in 2002 and had served a 13-year sentence. And again, I could not really get my hands on any information about these murders. But once he was released, he was back to living in unlocked basements or homeless shelters killing dogs, cats, birds, whatever he could get his hands on for food. Oh, and also, it is important to mention that at this point in his life, he did not have any teeth left. So living in and out of homeless shelters and being of that lifestyle, you meet people who are living in very similar circumstances. And it isn't uncommon to befriend other people to have some level of camaraderie. In 2016, while staying at a homeless shelter, Edward shared a room with another man and they became friends. 
The two began drinking, and his friend finally passed out drunk. For whatever reason, Edward decided to stab his friend to death. He then dismembered the man with an axe, no less, and some way, somehow, boiled and liquefied, walked to the Volonitsa River and tossed them in. Some time after, in 2017, he befriended yet another man and, after the man passed out from drinking, murdered him as well by stabbing him to death and dismembering the remains with an axe. He consumed what he wanted of this man and again bagged up the remains and threw them into the river. The next year, Edward befriended a man who actually lived in his own apartment and, predictably, they drank together. Once his friend fell asleep, Edward stabbed him, dismembered him in the same fashion as the other two men, and once he had consumed what he wanted of this friend, he put what was left into garbage bags and threw him into a nearby lake. Going back to the apartment, he rather liked the place and he would be taking up residence there. He even went as far as to getting a job at a meat processing factory and made himself at home in the area. The mistake Edward made in his third victim was that the first two were homeless and had no family. The third man worked and lived in his own place and he did have family who eventually realized their son was missing and came looking for him. They were met with Edward at the door, who told them that he was their son's roommate. He explained that the man had moved to St. Petersburg after being offered a job there working in the foresting industry. He told them that the man had borrowed Edward's backpack, had given him 35,000 rubles or Roughly $475 for the rent that month had left, and that was that. Now, as he was spinning his tail, the parents began sort of looking around the room, as one does, and they noticed that the apartment was in a disarray, which was most unlike their son to leave his place like that. And then they noticed something else. It was an odd-looking piece of meat unpackaged, lying on one of the rafts. When asked, Edward quickly explained that it was just a bit of raw fish. The father was looking around when he found Edward's jacket with his passport in it, though Edward had said he had no identification on him. He also found a bank card that had a completely different man's name on it. So, the parents quickly said their goodbyes and went directly to the police. The parents told the officers about Edward and the suspicious-looking meat, the lies he had told, and that their son was missing, so the authorities went to the apartment to investigate. Edward spun the same tale to the police that he had to the man's parents, and the authorities opened a missing persons investigation. It was then that they arrested Edward and took him to the station for questioning. Now, it was stated that after several interrogations, he finally admitted to stabbing to death three different men, dismembering them and consuming their boiled flesh. The rest of the remains, he said, he had thrown into nearby rivers or a lake. 
When asked why he did this, he simply said that he had, you know, grown tired of eating dogs and cats and whatever, and that, in fact, voices in his head had commanded him to kill those men. He confessed that he, over time, had actually wanted to try human meat and he had begun craving it. Edward was sent for a psychiatric evaluation, but the doctors who assessed him reported that he had been aware of his actions, took steps to conceal his crimes, and though he had claimed to have heard voices telling him to kill and eat human flesh, they deemed him sane and accountable for his crimes, so off to jail he went. They then took him out so that he could show them where he had dumped what was left of the bodies. He said, quote, I can show you where I dumped the body parts. In the direction of Pirsa, on the left bank, there is a hospital and a kindergarten, unquote, which was one of the dumping grounds. His trial began in January of 2020, and sources say he immediately changed his plea from guilty to not guilty and demanded that he get a jury trial. And he got the jury trial he asked for, and they found him guilty, sentencing him to life imprisonment in a special regime colony. He was also ordered to pay 1 million rubles or just over 13000 $500 to the victim's families, the one victim that had a family. The court did take into account his persistent antisocial attitudes, demonstrating complete disregard for human life. So this is where I got the information regarding him having antisocial attitudes, as they said. We've discussed antisocial personality disorder many times, but just a quick overview. Antisocial personality disorder is a mental disorder in which a person consistently shows no regard for right and wrong and ignores the rights and feelings of others. They tend to antagonize, manipulate, or treat others harshly or with callous indifference. They show no guilt or remorse for their behavior. They often violate the law. They lie behave violently or impulsively, and tend to have problems with drugs and alcohol. They have a much harder time fulfilling responsibilities when it comes to family, work, or school. And when it comes to Edward, his behaviors do seem to line up with this definition pretty well. Of course, we can't diagnose him as such, but I can see where he would be thought of as having antisocial attitudes and behaviors. So why did he turn out this way? When it comes to people with antisocial personality disorder, genetic factors and environmental ones such as child abuse are believed to contribute to the development of this disorder. But, you know, we have zero information on whether or not he endured any abuse, and if he did, from whom? It was said he barely knew his parents and was most often at boarding school. I can't say for sure it was the school, but we've all heard horror stories of some pretty terrible boarding schools. Perhaps it was an Albert Fish situation where Edward was tormented and abused horrifically while in the educational institution. And as far as genetics go, 
Again, we have no information on his parents or any possible siblings, none I could find anyway. So then we're left wondering, what happened to this man that would make him decide that murder and cannibalism was acceptable? And perhaps we'll never know. And again, sorry that this one is a bit of a shorter one and not as in-depth. Edward had been requested several times, and you guys know I'm going down the list in the book I keep of people that you want me to cover. Nonetheless, it is an interesting story, and if any of you, especially anyone who might be from that area that knows more about him, please feel free to share your story. So tell me, guys, what do you think? You can leave me a comment below. All of my contact information is in the notes or the description box. Um, please feel free to contact me. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening. Because I know you guys could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. You waited for me to get well. And I really appreciate that so much. Thank you guys and have a great day.